Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 168 of the Tick Bootcamp podcast. The title of today's interview is DNA Connections, an interview with Dr. Leslie Douglas. My name is Richard Johannesson. And I'm Matt Sabatello. So Matt, one of the things that we consistently hear our guests complain about is there isn't any accurate testing to determine whether or not you have Lyme or a co-infection. And even more importantly, there's no testing available to determine whether or not the treatment protocols your doctors are providing to you are offering you any relief. Well, I think with this interview, things have now changed. Which I have to admit, when we first started this interview, I really thought we were just going to talk about testing for Lyme disease and co-infections, but it was so much more than that. DNA Connections offers an oral panel that allows people to determine what pathogens they have in their mouth that can dictate chronic illness. They also have a BioComp Labs, which allows people to do a blood test and determine what substances they're most reactive to to avoid when having a dental procedure done. We also talked about heavy metal testing, where DNA Connections can tell you your body's ability to be able to clear heavy metals from your system. There was so much powerful information in this interview that's going to be able to help so many in the Lyme community. So Matt, I was concerned that this interview might be dry. We were now going to be interviewing a geneticist, a PhD, and I thought perhaps that might be a little boring. But as it turns out, Dr. Leslie Douglas is a really feisty gal. So without further ado, DNA Connections and Dr. Leslie Douglas. Hey, Dr. Douglas, and welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. We've been really excited to have you on all week, and we know our community is going to be really excited to receive all the information that you're going to share with them. So can you first share with us where you currently work? I work at DNA Connections, which is a biosafety level two CLIA certified genetics laboratory focusing on Lyme disease. And how long have you worked at DNA Connections? Oh boy, since 2015. And where is DNA, DNA Connections physically located? We are in Colorado Springs, Colorado. And talk to us about your educational background. What is it that you did and where did you study? And what did you study that qualified you for the position you now hold at DNA Connections? Well, I, um, I was raised in Hawaii. And um, I went to uh, University of Hawaii at Manoa for my graduate studies. I have a PhD in genetics and molecular biology. And talk to us a little bit about what you studied um, prior to acquiring your PhD before you became Dr. Douglas. I worked um, in the laboratory of David Hamer and um, we worked on a grant from the um, uh, USDA and we worked on identifying and localizing populations of fruit flies on a molecular level because fruit flies are a huge problem in Hawaii. And so when we would have an outbreak, we would need to know, was it an outbreak from California? Was it from Africa or you know, the Mediterranean? And so we developed a genetic test to be able to identify where these flies were coming from and, um, you know, so we could inform those communities, hey, we're getting your flies here and you need to take care of this because it's a huge economic downfall um, to destroy um, agricultural products in Hawaii. So let me spin off for a second about not the agricultural or the economic issues associated with fruit flies and other biting uh, insects. Let's talk about the impact that that may have on one's health and whether or not this is something you studied either during your undergraduate or graduate studies or thereafter. So 
One of the things that we've recently, we've recently learned is that most people who are suffering from chronic illnesses are suffering from chronic illnesses because they're essentially having a micro boil over, right? The pot boiling over metaphor. And we're getting bitten by flies and we're getting bitten by ticks and we're getting bitten by all kinds of of, of insects and, and arthropods. And then what's happening is we're getting this microbe load that's going to increase and increase and increase over time. So talk to us about whether you studied any of those issues when you were studying the fruit flies or any other types of um, um, insects that might, uh, or, or uh, any other kind of bug that might spit microbes into us. Well, uh, you know, I mean, I think that microbial load over our lifetimes is definitely a huge issue when it comes to how our bodies react to it and, um, you know, when or if there's some sort of trigger for chronic illness. Now, I'm trying to look at that now in my work with Lyme disease, but back, you know, in my graduate school days, it was really just population identification and the molecular tools to do that. So talk to us about how the work that you did as a graduate student brought you to the place where you are now. What was that, what was that link between what you were studying and now where you're working? Um, you know, I always, I always wonder, you know, you've got someone who, you know, works on Lyme disease or you've got someone who works on, you know, avian species and, and it's their life work and they're pivotal in the field. And you're always kind of like, how did you get into this field? You know, and really like my answer, like most answers, or it, I just kind of fell into it. You know, when I was, um, you know, after I had raised my kids and I was looking to go back to work, you know, Colorado Springs didn't have a lot of options for, uh, you know, geneticists. <laughs> and this just happened to be a lab that um, was here that focuses on molecular techniques um, of oral samples. Um, and utilizing those techniques, um, we were able to develop the line panel. So, you know, and that has turned into just a whole other, you know, avenue of research and, you know, our ability to put out a quality test, you know, in a, in a field that really needed, you know, some, some research and additional varying testing methods um, to help people because, I mean, Lyme's everywhere. It's absolutely everywhere. And it's one of those diseases that's really a diagnosis, um, you know, that, that, you know, it's a diagnosis of elimination, you know, when all else fails, well, maybe it's Lyme, you know, it's not the average person that's looking for this panel. So really, I just kind of fell into it. <laughs> you know? Well, so Dr. Douglas, I'll have to share with you philosophically, I don't believe we ever fall into anything. I think our life prepares us for what it is that God has created us to do. So I, you and I may have a philosophical disagreement about that, but I think you've been prepared for this and all of these experiences you had leading up to you getting that job was something that you were being prepared for. So let's talk about those steps that you took to prepare for this work that you were doing. Talk to us about geneticists and what geneticists learn and do to help people who are suffering from illness determine how to get better. Well, I mean, that's really two different topics. You know, if I really need to comment on 
what geneticists do, like geneticists and, you know, technologists, you know, we quite, you know, it's autonomous, you know, um, I really like just going into a lab for 12 hours, doing the research on my own, coming up with results, interpreting them. Of course, I had an advisor, you know, and it was kind of the same thing when I came back into the field. There was a lot that had changed, but, you know, the general principles still say the same. So, you know, the, the initial work when I came on to DNA Connections um, was really a lot of, you know, autonomous lab work, which I just love. I just absolutely love to be in the lab. Now that position over the last six years has really changed. You know, I'm, I'm more of the, I'm now the technical consultant, I'm the clinical consultant. Um, and um, so that has put me in a position to be able to help people, to interpret, to look at our you know, line panel and, 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 you know, help de- help in the development of that. And also after running thousands and thousands of line panels and looking at all of the intake forms and the symptomology and where they got bit or when they got bit, you know, thinking about new infections and chronic infections, you know, I mean, it's definitely parlayed into a very different position. You know, um, I'm hardly in the lab at all anymore, you know. So let's talk about the challenges that Lyme disease presents and the uh, testing solutions that are and should be available for Lyme disease. So one of the first challenges that we've discovered through doing our podcast is how do you define Lyme disease? Is Lyme disease a disease that is a single bacteria? Um, Is it a disease uh, that has a single bacteria with many strains, or is it a polymicrobial infection, which is how some others define Lyme? So let's begin with that uh, question. How do you at DNA Connections define Lyme disease? Lyme disease is an infection with Borrelia burgdorferi, the causative agent of Lyme disease. There are different strains. Um, you know, um, just to be really clear, we do not have an MD on staff. We are the lab, we detect, we do not diagnose. Um, You know, if you are bit by a tick, this is the further complication of Lyme. If you're bit by a tick that harbors the bacteria that causes Lyme disease, and that bacteria is transmitted into the bloodstream, then there's over 40% chance that that tick also harbors one or more co-infectors. Those are your other species of Borrelia. You've got Babesia, you've got Bartonella, um, you know, and, and what really makes the DNA, one of the things that makes the DNA connections line panel stand out is that not only are we looking for Borrelia burgdorferi, but we have 10 common co-infectors, co-infectors that are commonly associated with Lyme disease. So, you know, I can get a sample where I only see Borrelia burgdorferi. That doesn't mean they don't have the co-infections. That means we detected the DNA of the causative organism of Lyme disease. Um, I get some where I only see co-infectors and I don't see Borrelia burgdorferi. And we can get into that a little deeper because 
you know, I, I have people that test multiple times. They're looking for response to treatment, whether mainstream or, or, you know, more out of the mainstream treatments. And, you know, let's say I see Bergdorfer and they hit that Bergdorfer hard, you know, they, they, you know, whatever therapies that their Lyme literate practitioner is recommending. And then they test again. Well, we don't see the Bergdorfer but now all of a sudden maybe we'll see Babesia. And this is all about what I call vacated real estate. In some people, you know, what I have seen is that panels change over time. And I always get the question, have I ever seen a panel go from positive to negative? Yes, I have multiple times. There is hope, but everybody is different. Everybody's going to respond differently to treatments. So let's say they have, you know, Borrelia burgdorferi and we detect that DNA and they hit it hard and they go through treatments with their doctor and then they test again. And it's like vacated real estate. Like I, I liken it to the, the Borrelia burgdorferi was the dominant infection and it's gone or to a level that's undetectable. And now the Babesia is allowed to kind of take over that vacated real estate and flourish. We're like, well, I didn't see Babesia before. It's like, well, we saw the, Berg, the Bergdorferi and now the Bergdorferi is gone. So now we're seeing the co-infections. If you treat the Lyme, but you don't treat the co-infectors, you're still gonna have a problem, you know? And the thing is, is some people are gonna have that problem and some people aren't. Some people, they get Lyme, their body clears it, they never know they have it. Some people, they get Lyme and or a co-infector and it becomes somewhat commensual and they live with it. And, you know, they, they may or may not at certain times be affected by it, but then they have some sort of assault on their immune system. They could have dental work done. I've had people calling me now saying, I was totally fine until I have COVID. And now I got rid of the COVID. I got overcame the COVID, but now I have all these Lyme symptoms. It was like an assault on the immune system that allowed, you know, the immune system to sort of take their attention away from these commensual microbes. And now they're no longer commensual. Now they're taking over. And then some people contract these organisms like with a tick bite. And like basically the next day, it's been like they're run over by a truck, you know, and they feel it immediately. Dr. So, Douglas, yeah. Dr. Douglas, what are some of these events that can trigger dormant Lyme to become active and make people sick? Because I know in my case, I had three cavities filled. And shortly after I started to develop symptoms and it took me years to realize that I had Lyme disease after getting severe neurological symptoms and being bed bound. So what are some right. of these things that people can look out for to think, Hey, maybe if that happens, I should be on the lookout for Lyme. If I start to develop symptoms after these types of events, you know, every question you guys ask is, a, it's a very long response. So, you know, I mean, like I said, I grew up in, I've never had a tick bite, knock on wood. You know, until I worked here, like I kind of knew what Lyme disease was, but I really didn't know anything about it. You know, some people that are like, I grew up in Michigan and I've pulled ticks off me every single day. You know, it's like people are more aware that they may have or do live in an area that's endemic with ticks. And especially on the East Coast, people are very aware that this is an ongoing issue. So if you're one of those people that may or may not have Lyme or one of these co-infectors, any assault on your immune system, an assault could be 
a really bad flu. It could be some sort of chronic illness that comes up. It could be as simple as getting a root canal, which we don't agree with, as in root canals are bad, um, or even getting cavities filled. Um, you know, that entertains your immune system, which may have been busy doing other things. Anything that you put in your body that is not self could cause a chronic condition. And then there's some chronic conditions that just like flare up, you know, you get some sort of, you know, uh, stress, you know, a lot of stress, you know, can trigger an autoimmune condition, you know, be it chronic or be it sporadic. You know, I mean, I have people all the time call me and say, well, what about this? What about this? And again, like it's a, uh, it is very individualistic, you know, how you re respond to the organisms, how you respond to treatment. You know, we are very, very adamant about saying you need to be under the care of a Lyme literate physician and you need to pay attention to symptomology. I get a lot of like husbands and wives and the wife say full-blown Lyme disease. And the husband's like, well, if she's going to get tested, I'm going to get tested, you know? And the husband comes back positive and he's like, well, I'm not surprised, but it doesn't bother me. And I tell people, just keep it in the back of your mind. You know, it's really hard to go on like a two or three year um, medicinal protocol if you're not affected by it. But as Richard was saying, you know, um, you know, from the day that you are born, you are accumulating microbes. How those microbes affect you and when they may or may not affect you is very important to consider. So Dr. Douglas, we've interviewed almost 170 Lyme patients and done a lot of research and clearly DNA Connections is one of the best labs in the world for testing Lyme and co-infections. But the testing is a little bit different. We're used to traditional blood work. And I understand that DNA connections use urine samples instead of blood work. So you can talk to us why you guys use urine samples versus traditional blood work like other labs. That's a, that's a great question. Um, so the best direct test would be culture. You take a sample from a patient, you culture it, you grow Borrelia. That's a direct test. And that's, that's a, that would be a gold standard if Borrelia wasn't so difficult to culture. It's basically impossible. So the, the traditional ELISA and Western blots use blood. That is an indirect testing method. What they are looking for are antibodies produced in response to exposure to the organism. It doesn't tell you when that exposure was. We do not know how long those antibodies last. And in certain chronic sufferers, chronic um, conditions after years and years, the, the organisms has essentially evolved to evade the immune system. You may not even be producing antibodies at all. So that's why um, this indirecting testing method, it doesn't yield a lot of information and it's not, you know, it doesn't have a very high rate of sensitivity, which is the ability to identify a positive case as positive. Okay. The DNA connections test is a direct testing method. We're looking for the DNA of the organism itself. Um, we have shown with heat killed Borrelia that we can detect as few as 10 organisms in a sample. Um, we use urine for a couple of different reasons. One, the urinary tract is considered a site of spirochetal persistence. They like to hang out there. Um, two, 
we, we view urine as a comprehensive body sample. So we do recommend some sort of provocation before you collect your sample. We know that the organisms, um, you know, they, they infect a person, they circulate in the bloodstream, and then they go through this process of dissemination. They all but leave the bloodstream and they hide in the joints and the tissue and the lymph, okay? So we recommend focusing on those areas either by good old fashioned exercise, or a deep tissue or lymphatic massage, infrared sauna therapy, something to loosen up the joints and the tissue and the lymph, release those organisms and let them migrate down to the urinary tract. We view the urine as a comprehensive body sample. So we use PCR and unfortunately because of COVID, a lot of people are more familiar with that, high sensitivity and um, you know, uh, we are looking for the DNA of the organism. So I'm not gonna say you have Lyme disease. I'm not gonna say you have babesiosis. I'm going to say we detected the organism that causes those conditions. Um, we do, our, our, our concern, um, which is low, but it is out there, is a false negative. And that is we can only detect what's in the sample provided. So we really stress upon, while provocation is not required for testing, it's highly recommended. You know, we want to get the most comprehensive body sample possible. And understanding that, it just, for us living here in New York, we looked at DNA connections years ago, and I myself was going to get a test just to see what levels, my, what levels I have in my body we're not able to get the DNA connection test because New York state bans DNA connection. So can you talk to us why New York, one of the most common tick infested areas in the country is not allowing your testing, whereas the rest of the country is allowing it? Well, it's not that New York is banning DNA connections. Let's, let's clear that up. Um, while we're a CLIA certified laboratory um, at a biosafety level two, um, New York has their, the, the New York Department of Health has their own guidelines. You know, they, they have their own qualifications for a laboratory to be allowed to accept samples from New York. And, um, you know, our board of directors has decided that they do not want to participate with those additional guidelines. You know, CLIA is, it's a, it's a, um, you know, regulated by the FDA, it's regulated by the CDC, you know, we do everything that we have to do to maintain that license in, um, you know, exemplary form. And um, we just don't, they are, they choose not to participate with New York. So, um, you know, maybe we will someday, but, you know, we find some of their uh, uh, requirements to be what we're not comfortable with. So Dr. Douglas, I'd like to take you back to the testing and what you're able to discover when you go through the process of provocation or we go through the pro process of provocation, we provide you with the urine sample. <clears throat> okay. If someone was bitten by a tick or bitten by ticks over the course of their lifetime, <clears throat> they, be they begin to uh, show themselves to be symptomatic and you test and you find the Lyme bacteria. Will you find the other co-infections at the same time? And if not, why? Well, we can and we can't, you know, I mean, we can, you know, everything that's on our panel is on our website at dnaconnections.com. It's DNA Connections with an X. 
Um, you know, and we have four regions of Borrelia that we target individually, and we have, uh, sorry, Borrelia burgdorferi, and we have the 10, 10 co-infectors. And, you know, typically, you know, um, if we see one, we see several. Um, you know, and again, it just depends if there's, you know, from what my interpretation is that there's more dominant infections, you know, we'll see those and then treat those and then we see the lesser infections are able to flourish, you know, I mean, it's all over the board, you know, we get, we do get negative tests, you know, um, and um, we get highly positive tests. I mean, it's really all over the board, but what I can say is a lot of people call and they go, I knew it. I knew I had, you know, Babesia. I knew it, you know, and I said, well, you know, you're welcome. I'm glad that we were able to help you in your journey to better health. So I, I'm still not clear about this <clears throat> all over the board issue, meaning okay. you could test me today and yeah. find that I have uh, Borrelia mm -hmm. and you could find that I have Babesia, for example. And okay. then I, then I'm now treating, treating with my doctor and assuming there is no reinfection could I come back and be tested a month after, after treating and now have a different bacteria or virus or protozoa show up that didn't show up in my first test? Yes, that does happen. Um, when you, you know, we do see that, especially in the long-term cases, you know, how I was saying earlier, how, you know, some of the infections become commensual and then, you know, say the Burgdorferi, you know, um, you know, is able to flourish and you're like, okay, I feel really bad. I get the Burgdorferi I treated, you know, that's gone, that's undetectable. Again, we can detect as few as 10 organisms in a sample, as long as they're there. Um, once, you know, if that goes to an undetectable level and you're still feeling poor, a lot of the symptoms between, you know, and across these co-infectors are very common. They're like, well, I still don't feel good. And the, doctor will recommend do a test again, you know, three months, you know, one month, three months, really, I say, base it on symptomology. If your symptomology disappears, if it drastically changes, um, you know, go ahead and do a retest. And yeah, I mean, you may have eradicated Babesia and Borrelia, but then all of a sudden the Bartonella shows up, you know, so, so you have to address that as well. The reason I'm asking the question is we've had many of our guests tell us there is no accurate test for the microbes that I'm suffering from, right? Then we've had other guests tell us that the treating Lyme disease is very much like the unfolding of an onion. You know, they use the onion metaphor where I have to get through one level before I can get to the next level, before I can get to the next level. So I wanna jive these two things for our listeners because it may not be that there isn't a good test. It may be that the way the microbes are going to present to the testing is going to change at different times based on treatment or other factors. So let's let's bring those two together and talk about that. You know, Richard, I love that onion metaphor and I'm gonna use it. I'm definitely gonna use it. Um, it is multiple, multiple levels. Um, you know, it's uh, very well health, which is a large, um, you know, group of practitioners and patients um, online, they just um, awarded us the most accurate at home one test, which is phenomenal. You know, we're, you know, we're not saying that we're Congratulations. That, thank you. Yes, no, we're very proud of that. You know, we're not saying that we're better than an antibody test. We're saying that 
we're different. We're a different piece of the puzzle. We're offering something new and different um, in the detection of these microbes, you know, whereas the antibody test is going to say, well, at some point you were exposed, you know, and, and I know that, you know, there's, there's lots of limits to that testing, you know, and, and just with our direct, the DNA connections direct PCR test, you know, there are limits, you know, it's not quantitative. We're not going to tell you how much is there. We're going to tell you, is it there or not, you know? Um, and, um, you know, the, you know, we're always, always, um, you know, looking to provide the most comprehensive information possible to help in the treatment of these patients. So now we say that it's there. Let's, let's, let's talk about what that means there. When is it there? Um, because again, in this, in this, using this onion metaphor, do you believe that we have certain bacteria or viruses or protozoa or fungi that are going to be dominant at the moment? And because it's dominant at the moment, you're either your body is controlling the other microbes or the dominant microbe is controlling the other microbes. And then when you clear the dominant microbe, the other microbes can now step up and become the dominant microbe. And that's why we have to sort of go through this layering process before we can get healthy. It's really all of the above. You know, you've got, you know, I mean, I have always said, it's amazing we live, you know, a minute out of the womb. We are immediately assaulted with microbes. We are immediately assaulted with immunological challenges. Um, you know, and the develop of the development of our immune system and immunology in general is just, it's so elegant, you know, and yeah, I think that there are dominant infections. I think that there are some people who, um, you know, their immune system can handle these infections. Um, and then, you know, there are some that can't, like I said, it's, you know, they're bit, they're infected and, and they immediately feel it and they're immediately laid up you know, whereas like what Matt was saying is, you know, he probably had it long-term and then he had, you know, three fillings done, something that you would think would be so minor, but when you're putting something, a, a chemical, you know, a product into your body, there is reactivity levels there as well. And, you know, who, you know, it could have absolutely, you know, his immune system may have been keeping his, his microbial infections in check, but then he put this filling material in and his immune system just, you know, blew up, you know, and it, and it, and it became, you know, very focused on this new material and it took its focus off Borrelia just for a minute, you know, and then he said he was, you know, bedridden. So, and I'm really excited to explore that piece with you, but I'd like to stay with this one piece for a little bit longer. So one of the other complaints that we get from our guests is that they argue that there's no testing available to let them know whether or not they're progressing, right? They take, they take a test, they, they begin to treat, and there's nothing available to let them know when they should, what they should do with the next layer of the onion. So I oh. guess the first question I have for you is, why can't we see all of the microbes in our body when we do that first test. And secondly, do you recommend regular testing so that you can see when you need to pivot from one treatment protocol to a separate treat treatment protocol? Sure. Um, we really defer to our partner practitioners 
to decide when a retest is warranted. And, you know, typically it is major changes in symptomology um, in response to treatment. Um, we don't have a set guideline. Again, we don't have an MD on staff. Um, we don't have a set guideline as to when to retreat, but I have, you know, several practitioners that we work with who, you know, um, you know, they use the test multiple times to gauge response to treatment and to gauge um, the layers of the onion. You know, if, if the outer layer is gone, what are we looking at next? Because again, if you get bit by a tick, their chances are it's going to transmit Bor uh, Borrelia burgdorferi and or more than one co-infectors. You may not see them all in the beginning, but you know, uh, Lyme disease treatment is really long haul, you know, and, and I myself, you know, luckily have not experienced it, but I have lived it with so many of our clients and our practitioners, you know, so, so, you know, we do our very, very best. We have an amazing team of lab technicians and administrative report, you know, administrative staff that, you know, work day and night, you know, to, to provide the most accurate test possible. No, I respect that you, of course, have to rely on your doctor partnerships, but we're actually a podcast designed to empower patients with the information they need so they can partner with their healthcare professionals. Yeah. And unfortunately, most of the healthcare professionals that are that actually our communities come in contact with are not aware of the testing options and unfortunately not aware of diagnostic or treatment options generally. So it, it is really important that we explore this in some detail here today so that we can empower the patients to partner with their with their practitioners. So with that with that sort of soliloquy, I'd like to ask you, do you believe that the microbes that are presenting in subsequent tests are necessarily the microbes that are causing the illness because they are now filling the vacant real estate? Or could there be microbes that are causing the patient to be sick that are not presenting in the test at that moment? Um, yes and no. Um, you know, we, in the research and development of this panel, we selected the organisms that were relevant and, pre relevant and prevalent at the time in the United States. So, you know, we have three species of Babesia, three Bartonella, three Borrelia, Ehrlichia champinensis, and Anaplasma phagocytophilia. There are other things out there. You know, there's a whole group of Rickettsias, there's other, you know, Borrelias, you know, that are just not on the panel yet. You know, it takes a lot of research to, to add to the panel, um, a lot of testing, a lot of quality control, you know, um, you know, we want to add, you know, um, Afzelii, I don't know if I say that right, Grinii, we want to add Mycoplasma, you know, um, we want to put Epstein-Barr on the panel, you know, so the answer is yes and no. While our panel is very comprehensive, there are other things. And, 
you know, I have practitioners overseas international and, you know, they'll say, well, you know, I picked it up in Saudi Arabia. Well, chances are our panel is not going to pick up that strain of Bordeaux. You know, we focused on the B-17. We focused on the one that was in the United States. You know, it's based on uh, the, the polymerase chain reaction. So it's literally based on the nucleotides of the sequence that make up the genome of this organism. Okay. So let's, let's focus on those microbes you can test for. Okay. So test one, Borrelia burgdorferi. We now treat that. Test two, Babesia. So the real estate's been vacated. Yep. Babesia now steps up. And now Babesia is the dominant microbe that your test is showing. Mm -hmm. Does that lead you to believe that that is the microbe that is causing the illness to the patient because it's the one that's presenting in the comprehensive body sample, the urine? I think that's a fair assumption. You know, um, not only do our doctors test to see the patient's response to different treatment options, but they also test based on symptomology. So, you know, if, if the test shows, you know, Burgdorferi and they have Burgdorferi symptoms, you know, the symptom and, and then the test shows, you know, there is still, there's no more detectable Burgdorferi, but there's something else you know, the symptomology may or may not remain the same. Pretty much they do. The symptoms overlap. And there's hundreds and hundreds of different symptoms that's going to be different for every person. So yes, I would say that at the detectable level, um, based on symptomology, um, at, the, at the baseline time of testing, that yeah, whatever we detect is probably the dominant organism. Fair assumption. So now let's talk about someone who is testing with you repeatedly and the same microbe is presenting. What other tests do you have available at your lab that may give the patient some clues about why their body is resistant to the treatment that they're receiving? Um, well, everybody's, everybody's response to treatment is going to be different. You know, I think that while Lyme is a chronic condition, you know, there are other chronic conditions related to microbes um, that could be keeping the immune system busy, that could be causing, you know, the immune system not to have the tools it needs to battle. And, you know, it's, it's really, you know, we have this panel called the oral panel at DNA Connections. And it's also a PCR-based panel, and it's huge. It's got 88 different microbes, bacteria, virus, parasite, and fungi. And I have a lot of people who do a combination test. They'll do uh, a urine line panel, and then they'll do an oral sample because the oral panel not only talks about microbes that should be in the mouth, but ones that really shouldn't, you know, like... Um, you know, things that are related to chronic conditions. You know, you've got your streptococcus, we have four species, we've got your staphylococcus, we have four species, we have campylobacters, you know, which are all related to your gut. You know, I mean, I'm a firm believer in, you know, it's kind of all about your mouth to your anus with your gut in the center, you know, and if you are taking 
you know, I mean, again, I'm a PhD. I'm not an MD. I don't diagnose and I don't prescribe. A lot of people are prescribed heavy duty antibiotics. You take heavy duty antibiotics, you know, for Lyme disease or other conditions, and it's for, you know, a longer period of time, you are going to destroy the flora in your mouth and your digestive tract. And, you know, if you destroy that flora, opportunistic organisms can move in. You've got your Campylobacters, you've got your Enterobacters, you've got Entamoeba, which is a parasite. You know, I mean, there's almost a hundred organisms on that Lyme panel. And there are quite a few that are related to chronic conditions. You've got organisms specifically related to neurological conditions, neuromuscular conditions, you know, cancer, polygenic conditions, which are genetics and environment, you know, so we have the oral panel that looks at that. Um, DNA Connections also has a smaller panel called the propensity panel. And those are 17 of the most common organisms associated with chronic diseases. And, you know, on our website, at dnaconnections.com under resources, there are sample reports of every panel that we run. Um, so yeah, I think that, that while Lyme is a part of the picture, you know, um, it is not the only picture, you know, it's, it's only one piece because there are multiple pieces that unfortunately a lot of people on their journey back to health and dealing with this chronic condition have to look at. It's not just the spirochete that causes Lyme disease. There's a lot going on there. So Dr. Douglas, talk to us a little bit more about oral health and cavitation surgery. We've had a lot of podcast guests tell us that they couldn't get better. They had cavitation surgery and they finally were able to start to see some, see some progress in their healing journey. Can you talk to us more about yeah. that and how that relates to your testing? Sure, absolutely. It's my pleasure. So, you know, <laughs> I had not heard the word cavitation until I started at DNA Connections. And um, specifically what a cavitation is, you know, and in my generation, you know, everybody had their wisdom teeth extracted you know, or, or most people have had an extraction. And, you know, I can tell you that my wisdom tooth extractions were pretty traumatic and it took me a really long time to heal. And it was icky and it was, you know, soupy. Well, think about what is in that soup, in that hole in your mouth that's healing. And eventually it heals over. But the healing over, you're, you're essentially encompassing bacteria in your jaw when you have an extraction and it takes time to heal if it's not done the proper way. That formation of a little, um, you know, self-contained biome of microbes is now in your jaw and it's flourishing and it's living there. And, you know, um, there are special x-rays, you know, that can show um, biological dentists specifically, you know, if somebody has a cavitation, it's a, it's a pocket of bacteria that doesn't have anywhere to go. And, 
you know, I call it an, an excavation. The oral panel, we look at we look at cavitational samples, we look at blood samples, we look at extracted dental implants, we look at teeth, root canals, all kinds of oral samples. And so a uh, cavitation is essentially they drill into the bone and they excavate that pocket and they send it to us. And we can put it on the oral panel, we can test it against the line panel, we can test it against the propensity panel, you know, because some people, again, you know, won't be affected by it. And some people, um, you know, they're like, my life was fine until I had my wisdom teeth out when I was 19 or when I had an infected root canal tooth and, and I had that extracted and, and then they end up with a cavitation. And like I said, I, I hadn't even heard of it. I'm sure I have at least one. I'm sure I do. So Dr. Douglas, talk to us more about what type of doctors do you, our listeners need to partner with to get these tests done? It sounds like for the oral panel, they should be working with a dentist, possibly a holistic dentist to get those tests done with you. And for the Lyme panel, possibly a medical doctor or a Lyme litter doctor. Is that accurate? Um, well, yes and no. So, um, you know, I, I have a lot of practitioners who are, um, you know, holistic or not mainstream practitioners, you know, and they will introduce their patients to this type of testing. And then I have some patients who find us on their own or through groups or, you know, through chats or websites or, you know, verywellhealth.com, you know, and, and they will, you know, they can order the test on, the, on their own as a patient request, and then they can in turn introduce the doctor to it. It goes both ways. Um, typically when we do like a tooth extraction kit, yeah, that's done under the, um, you know, uh, vision of a, of a dentist. We don't recommend people pulling out their teeth and sending them to us. However, we do have an at-home kit for the oral panel, which is based on super floss. It's a highly absorbent floss, um, and they can use it as a full mouth survey of their oral cavity, or they can use it in a site specific manner. If they have an area that's bothering them. The kit comes, all of our kits come with everything that you need for collection, um, sampling, labeling, and prepaid return shipping. It's all included in the price of the panel. And that seems very simple. Oftentimes we get that it's so overwhelming to do this on your own or find a doctor that can work with you. So it seems pretty simple for somebody to be able to order one of these tests, especially if somebody's treating and they're not having the success they want they should consider maybe doing this oral panel specifically for the chronic illness uh, panel yeah. you mentioned. Now, what happens if, if I were to get that chronic illness oral panel and the results come back that I have one or many of these, these uh, different pathogens that can be causing chronic illness, what type of doctor should I work with now to address the report and the, the lab work that you guys provide me with? Well, um, you know, I mean, I tend to favor what I call a Lyme literate physician, you know, someone with experience, you know, in vector borne illnesses, I tend to favor holistic practitioners if available in your area. Um, on our website under resources, DNA connections lists a lot of practitioners. Now, these are not practitioners that we are endorsing. We are saying that they utilize our testing, they understand our testing. Um, and they have experience with us and what to do with these results. And that can be actually sorted by city and state. And a lot of doctors, you know, I have several that, um, you know, completely have online practices. Um, and, you know, they'll take on patients virtually. I have people in Pennsylvania that are treated by somebody in California, 
you know, and, and, you know, I helped, I think it was a patient request and then I helped facilitate and I say, well, I have a, I know a doctor, you know, I've worked with her for a long time and, you know, I feel like she would be a good fit for you. So, and again, those are all on our website as well. So Dr. Douglas, I'd like to take you back to this onion that we were talking about before and the different types of testing that can be done over some period of time to help us to determine why we're being resistant and what steps we can take. So one of the, one of the challenges that we've, we've uh, seen on this podcast is a lot of people go through this explant process, right? Where they're, they're taking different, um, in some cases, breast implants, sometimes dental implants, sometimes other types of, of uh, artificial um, items in their body. Can you talk to us about um, what role, um, for example, dental implants could play in the immune disrupting process? Sure. Um, I get samples like that all the time. Um, at one point, this is just a clarification for all of your listeners. At one point, you know, we, we, take, we look at dental implants and, I, and someone put on some chat, on some site, that we look at implants. And we started getting um, explanted breast implants for testing, and we don't do that. Okay. I just want to be really clear. Um, because, you know, we went through our website and every time it says implant, like we assume dental implant, now it says dental implants. We don't test breast implants. You know, we can do tissues on request and, you know, with, with certain, you know, caveats for testing, but in general, DNA connections does not test explanted uh, breast implants. Um, we look at dental implants a lot that dental implants and root canal teeth, um, that have been extracted. Those both are non-self um, you know, are the most prolific samples that we see on the oral panel. You know, it just seems like a magnet for microbial flora biofilms, um, and microbial invasion. Um, you know, to take us a minute away from DNA connections, um, there is another laboratory that I manage and it's called Biocomp Labs and it's Biocomp is in biocompatibility. And this goes back to what Matt was saying about dental products. So what Biocomp Labs does is there are certain things that, pe that each and every person are going to be compatible with and certain things that they're not. And there are, are this focuses on dental materials and there are certain dental materials that have ingredients in them that would absolutely shock the layperson and probably shock a lot of dental professionals as well. You know, um, so what Biocomp Labs does is we send out a kit where the person does go get their blood drawn and the blood is clotted and spun down by a laboratory, a phlebotomy laboratory, and um, they send us the serum. Now, when you expose that serum, which has albumins and globulins in it, when you expose that to common dental components like lead and beryllium and molybdenum and titanium and zirconium, titanium and zirconium being in those implants, in dental implants, um, your reactivity level will be based on the amount of precipitation of proteins in your serum exposure to these individual components. 
So we have an instrument, a spectrophotometer that measures the amount of precipitation and that amount of precipitation is how reactive are you to these products? And the way that we use this information is we study dental products. We have about 4,500 in our database and we are adding more every day. So we um, gather the material safety data sheets from these product manufacturers and we input the component of each product. So, you know, Richard, if we measured your serum and you were highly reactive to say lithium, then any product that has lithium in it would become highly reactive in your report. And the 4,500 products are each segmented into least moderate and highly reactive. So yeah, even something as simple as a filling, which would probably have like acrylamide, methacrylamide and urethane, maybe some lithium, you know, I mean, some filling materials have acetone in it, you know, but we didn't know that, you know? So every report, and it's about 60 pages double-sided and it lists, it's all in sections. We've got composite sections, which is white material for fillings. We've got root canal sections because some people still do root canals, you know, all materials are not created equal. And I recommend that everybody has a biocompatibility report to know that they are doing their best to use the least reactive products possible in their healthcare. Okay, so now let's talk about layering these tests so that okay. we have someone who now has Lyme disease. I'm gonna to talk to you about somebody who, who, is, who, is, um, who doesn't have Lyme disease in a minute, but I wanna talk about someone who has Lyme disease. So someone has Lyme disease and they first come to your lab and they take the, um, the comprehensive panel that's offered through the urine test, right? And they test again, and they test again, and they test again, and they're not improving despite different treatment modalities, right? What is the next test that you'd recommend in layering the test so that this person can get more insight into what may be going on here? Do you think the next test is the oral panel or is the next test the, um, the biocomp panel that you, you offer through the second lab that you manage? You know, I would say that just like Lyme disease, it's really individually based. You know, if you've got someone who is chronically ill, but they have had very little or no, you know, dental treatment, you know, obviously it's not going to be related, it could likely not related to you know, ongoing dental treatment. If you have someone that has 17 crowns and four implants, then yeah, you definitely want to look at those dental materials. Um, you know, the uh, best case scenario when it comes to dental materials is they do that test before their restore, their restorations are done. Um, there is, and, and, you know, going back to the original question, there's such a huge link into long-term chronic infections and immunological response and physical response to treatment that, you know, I truly believe that the oral panel really gives an insight into other chronic conditions that could be, you know, detrimental to the response to Lyme treatment. So I would say the oral panel, um, you know, is, is a very wise place to start. 
Okay, now the oral panel and the propensity panel, are they the same panel or are they separate panels? Um, all the panels are separate. Um, the oral panel is going to tell you what we found um, of the 88 organisms on the panel. And it gives you a description of each of the organisms detected and its overall characteristics and pathogenicity. So it's not only what we detected, like the Lyme panel is, do we detect it or not? The oral panel is we detect it. And of what we detected, this is sort of the ranking of the organisms. And then the propensity panel has 17, but those are the big ones, seven. Those are the ones listed to, or, or linked to chronic conditions. Okay. And again, all of the sample reports are on our website. Okay. Now, so the first set of panels that is offered by DNA Connections, all determining what microbes and what level of microbes are in your system. Yes. But that doesn't test your individual propensity right? Which is where we pivot over to the other testing that your other lab does with the biocomp lab, right? Because in the right. biocomp lab, you're not just testing whether or not a particular dental implant itself is affecting me, but you're, you're, you're determining how I'm going to react to, for example, heavy metals, whether they're in my mouth or not. So because one of the, one of the huge things that we see in you know, in, in our community is uh, heavy metal toxicity playing a large role in recovery because that in many cases will play a role in, in immune disruption. So the, it seems to me that the, that the bio lab testing that you're doing would be a very helpful test regardless of whether or not you've had a lot of dental work because I'm now getting a profile on my personal propensity to all kinds of different products that I may or may not come in contact with through my dental work. Right, right. Well, very true. And a couple of clarifications, you know, just like Lyme, some people, you know, contract one or more of these organisms and it doesn't face them at all. You know, they clear it, no problem. You know, um, with regard to what you said about the propensity panel, these are organisms that are linked to long-term chronic conditions. Just because you harbor it does not mean you're going to get a neurological condition. Some people tolerate them very well. Um, like I said, with the husband and the wife, you know, the husband is unaffected, but positive. It just might be something to keep in, you know, in the back of his head. Now, it's really interesting that you brought up the heavy metals because DNA Connections offers another panel. We, this is not a presence or absence. This is a genotyping panel for apolipoprotein E. And that protein, um, everybody has essentially simply two copies of the gene. And so just like, you know, you have uh, two copies of the gene for eye color and some people have brown, brown, and some people have blue, brown, and their eyes are blue or, you know, uh, brown and green and they're hazel. Apolipoprotein E, the product of that protein is directly linked to your body's ability to clear heavy metals. And there are, you know, possible genotypes, two, 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 three, 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 four, 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 two, four. Most commonly, the everyday person, including myself, is a 3-3. Three, three. I am an average clearer. But if you're a 4-4, four, four, which we do see, you know, that is someone who does not clear heavy metals very well. And 
um, you know, the accumulation, just like you accumulate microbes over time, you ac accumulate exposure to heavy metals over time. If you're not able to clear those heavy metals and you know it, you know, let's say you're a dental assistant, you might not want to be in that field. You know, it's, it's, that is more informational on, are you a clearer? Are you a non-clearer? Are you average? Um, so that's a APOE genotyping panel that we offer. Well, but it, we it may to be all encompassing. <laughs> yes. Well, and, and I appreciate that. And I'm trying to get a sense of how to layer the panels as I'm yeah. going through the process yeah. of on, 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 unraveling this onion because we want to be sensitive to two things. The first thing we wanted to be sensitive to is we want to make sure that we're using the testing that's available so we can make intelligent choices about how we're going to pivot in our treatment plan. But at the mm -hmm. same time, we want to be mindful that testing is expensive and we don't want to use testing or any type of protocol that we don't need. So we want to use it in the proper order. And you know, I, I think some of my questions may, may have been confusing when I was comparing and contrasting what you're offering at DNA Connections versus what you're offering at, at um, Biocomp Lab, because I use the word propensity, which is a title in one of your panels yeah. at DNA, when, at, at DNA Connections, when I'm really looking at my personal makeup and how my personal makeup is affecting my capacity to heal and what is causing me to personally have immune disrupting events that may be interfering with my body's capacity to manage the, the uh, microbes that keep showing up during my DNA connection testing. So let's, with that long um, framing, let's talk about what testing either DNA connections or biocomp labs offers that allows me to determine what my individual responses are going to be to immune disrupting events. You know, really all of our panels are a piece of the puzzle, um, which is why it is so important to have a doctor that you resonate with, a doctor that understands that it's not just a, you know, said rate and a CBC that's going to get you the answers. These are all part of a huge puzzle, um, which we are a piece as well. And, you know, there's no real set order, you know, there's no magic answer because everybody's going to respond differently. I wish I had an answer for you. Um, you know, you need to be under the care of a practitioner who understands the questions to be asked in each individual case. It's not cookie cutter. You know, if it was easy, everyone would do it. <laughs> I understand that. And, and so, and again, one of the challenges that we have is that most of the research shows that a Lyme patient must see seven doctors before he, she, or they are even diagnosed with Lyme disease. And the number of doctors that they have to see in order to be able to have a successful healing journey is even longer. I mean, we've had people I've seen as many as 50 doctors before they even got a diagnosis. So unfortunately, and I appreciate your answer. I don't want this to sound like a criticism. I appreciate your answer. We can't rely on doctors to determine when we should be tested and how they're going to interpret the test because at least in the Lyme community, there are very few doctors that are capable of even defining what tests should be used and, and then interpreting the data. 
And there are a whole host of reasons why that's a problem. Some of it has to do with education. Some of it has to do with the parameters that are placed on doctors by insurance carriers and how much time they can spend with us. I mean, there are a whole host of challenges here. So unfortunately, patient empowerment is the only is the only answer, which is why I have to explore this with you a little bit more. I understand that it's complex, but the only way that we're going to get better is if we have the capacity to understand what it is that we should be treating, when we should be treating it, and whether or not that treatment is effective. And we have to layer these tests together, I guess individually for each person so that we can get the data we need to properly make the treatment decisions that we're trying to make. So I appreciate, uh, I appreciate the complexity of the question I'm asking, but I, 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 do, wanna, I do wanna press you a little bit harder. Um, so tell me what tests are available. I'm going to start with uh, BioComp Lab. What tests are available to a patient through the BioComp Lab that would allow them to determine how they individually are going to respond to any treatment tool they're going to use on their journey? Um. I mean, in general, our tests can be ordered individually by the patient. So I'm not suggesting that the patient goes out and orders every single panel that we offer, because the big question is, what am I going to do with that information? I get it. I absolutely get it. Um, you know, the biocomp panel does, you know, sensitivities to metals and non-metals, foreign materials that are in everyday products, you know, that is used in dentistry. And dentistry is just a huge industry, you know, so we do our best you know, to add products, research products, see where the formulary chains get all the information that we can to provide that information. Um, you know, the line panel and the oral panel can be ordered individually. Um, but then I do get the question, okay, so I have this, now what do I do with it? You know, they say, well, my doctor is not, you know, receptive to this information. And, you know, that's why, it is so important to have a practitioner that is open to information that is not in their typical repertoire. And there are a lot of doctors who, who call me and they say, well, my patient gave me her results. What does this mean? What can you tell me? You know, and I am so happy to talk to new doctors about this technology. It's not new technology. You know, when you talk about Lyme testing, people talk about antibodies. They talk about Western blot. You know, PCR is not new. Um, and, and you know, it, it's, like I said, it's another piece of the puzzle, you know. And I know that it's frustrating for patients on their own. And I know that it's a testing black hole. And I know that, you know, they, they, they have to go through multiple doctors and tons of testing you know, and I, and I hear it, I hear it every day and I feel it. And that's, you know, another reason why I work so hard to provide people this service. Let's talk about the patient that's in remission or mm -hmm. someone like me. I've been bitten by ticks many, many times during the course of my life. And thank God, knocking on wood, I'm, um, I, I've been healthy. And when we interviewed Dr. Bill Rawls, the author of Unlocking Lyme last week, one of the things he said to me was, hey, if you're living on Long Island, it is very likely 
that you have microbes from a Lyme disease. It's very likely that you have the Lyme bacteria in your system. He said, if we tested 95% of the, he said, if we tested 100% of the people on Long Island, 95 would harbor the bacteria, but their body, their immune system is managing it. So I'm gonna answer the question in two pieces. The first piece of the question is, if you'd gone on a chronic Lyme disease journey and you were in remission, what testing would you recommend that they do so that they do not suffer immune disrupting events, at least in the dental arena? Um, you know, I always tell people to base it on symptomology. You know, if, if like you said, people in Long Island, 95% will harbor some sort of organism. Uh, you know, if they're tested and we find it, you know, we detect it, but it doesn't affect them at all. Do you want to go through three years of treatment? Do you want to be on antibiotics, you know, or some other treatment for something that doesn't even bother you? You know, I mean, it, it would be, you know, as a parent, it would be a very hard decision for me. I have like a, a family of five and four of them are totally sick. Well, if we're going to test four, we might as well test five. And the fifth one comes back, but there's no symptomology, you know? Um, but don't you think if I took, for example, the biocomp lab test, I'm substantially less likely to engage in behavior, uh, making decisions that could result in an immune disrupting event. So I'm therefore absolutely. more likely to stay healthy, right? Right. Absolutely. Information is key. You know, information is key. We recommend, you know, like I said, um, best before dental work, not after. Um, you know, we definitely, you know, highly recommend having a biological serum compatibility test, like you said, to avoid things that could disrupt the immune system. You know, I have a feeling that I need to get done next week. And the dentist, I said, well, what kind of composite do you use? And I swear she was offended to say, what do you mean? What kind of composite? And I said, well, you know, it's in my field. All composites are not created equal. I don't think anyone had ever asked her that, you know, I want to make sure that it's something that's biocompatible with me. I bet she never even considered it. Probably not. Probably are, not. Are there any other tests you, you indicated that you have a heavy metals test. Do you have any testing uh, that you offer for uh, mold and mold toxicity? No, we, uh, we are and have been for a while working on, uh, you know, the development of a mold panel. Those species, we like to keep it species specific and they're really close, you know, that it's really hard to delineate. I mean, it's definitely on our radar, but um, we're not there yet. But one of the things I want to do is encourage you to focus on that because what we've learned from some of the best Lyme doctors we've interviewed is that Acute Lyme disease rarely becomes um, chronic Lyme disease, at least immediately. There's generally some series of events or there's some time that passes. Um, what, we, what we heard from both Dr. Rawls and Dr. Phillips recently was that in their experience, there's only two times when someone will go from an acute phase to a chronic phase almost immediately. And that is, the first one is if you're bitten by multiple ticks at the same time, and the microlobe is so large that you can have that conversion. But the second situation is when somebody's living in a, in a high mold environment yeah. where that disrupting event 
will in many cases result in somebody moving from an acute phase to a chronic phase almost immediately. So I, I do want to encourage the folks, our new friends at DNA Connections to focus on that, uh, on that panel in particular, because that seems to be a huge issue in the, in the Lyme disease community. Right. And I mean, there are specific ones that we have, you know, started research on and looked at, you know, sampling is an issue because somebody will just see something black on their wall and they'll say, oh, it's mold. I want to know what it is. And, you know, so we're, we're working out the details of how we would even go about, um, you know, through the extraction and amplification process. It's definitely on our radar as well as expansion of the line. So, um, we, we, we've really loved the interview. You know, I mean, uh, you know, we, we never know how enjoyable an interview is going to be with a fellow geek. And uh, this was really, really enjoyable for us, quite frankly. And we know our community is going to love you um, when they get to meet you in the next couple of weeks. So can you talk to us about how folks can get in touch with the DNA Connections and the BioComp Lab and, um, and what would be the best way for them to um, get their samples to you so they can get the type of testing they, they would need? Sure. Well, each of the, obviously each of the companies have their own website, um, but it's all in one in the same building. Um, I manage both of the laboratories, um, you know, dnaconnections.com with an X, biocomplabs.com. Um, you can order your kit. There's lots and lots of information on our website. Um, Earlier, we had talked about provocation. There is a great video on the DNA Connections website. It's about eight minutes long on the homepage. It talks about, you know, provocation, collecting, packaging and shipping your samples. You know, we do international. You can order your kits online. You can always email us through the website. You know, um, you know we've got, you know, several people here who, you know, answer calls and questions all day long. We are here to help. That is our mission, to be a piece of this puzzle. Thank you for listening to the Tick Boot Camp interview with Dr. Leslie Douglas. To our listeners, we have a call to action. First, if you'd like to learn more about DNA Connections and the testing options they make available, please go to their Instagram page, dna.connexions. Second, if you enjoyed this episode of the Tick Bootcamp podcast, please share it with your friends by using the social media buttons you see at the bottom of the post. Third, Tick Bootcamp has created a Tick by Blueprint that has been inspired by the information that has been provided to us by past podcast guests. We urge you to visit our website at www.tickbootcamp.com to view the blueprint. Please note we would appreciate any input or any improvements you would like to share with us. Fourth, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play Music, or Spotify to get you automatic episode updates of our Tick Bootcamp podcast. And finally, we thank you, our community, for your comments on our past podcast episodes. Please take a minute to leave us an honest review on iTunes, on Instagram, or on our website. We make it a point to read every single one of the reviews we get. Thank you for listening.